Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head, challenged by their thoughts, the voice in their head, and their beliefs. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Ad Valued Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. You deserve it. It is possible. It's time for you to add value. Our guest today is Dave Gambrell. Dave is a keynote speaker, corporate trainer, and executive coach who helps people unleash their awesome on the world with a focus on digital marketing. He made his first few dollars online from website banner ads and selling things on eBay in the 90s and has been growing his online empire ever since. Dave Gambrell, digital marketing and affiliate expert, talks about the power of building your list, telling your story, and getting the reps in. You need to take action, or in Dave's words, unleash the awesome. Dave, man, thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I appreciate you being willing to share with our audience. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. So you've kind of rolled yourself into the digital marketing niche, but what uh, what was your process? I mean, I, I know you served in the Navy and then obviously you were a corpsman, so did some medical stuff after that and uh, assume college and, and those things. Um, where How'd you get from Navy corpsman corporate to entrepreneur? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm not sure we have enough time in this episode for me to go through all of that. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, <laughs> but I'll give you the short and sweet version of it, I guess. Yes, I served in the military uh, as a hospital corpsman, did some medical stuff. And then when I got out, I worked doing some recruiting for technology companies. So for SAP and PeopleSoft and things like that. Uh, so I was recruiting analysts and programmers and, and people like that that could operate those big enterprise systems. And then I did a little stint in professional sports. Uh, I was working for a minor league baseball team for a while. And when you work in minor league baseball, you do everything. So I pulled the tarp out on the field. I sold the, uh, I was a director of sales there. So I sold the, all the inventory they had, the, the billboards on the outfield wall and in-game promotions and all that stuff. I even did the audio for the games every night. So that was interesting. And then I worked in professional sports for the Philadelphia Flyers and 76ers for a while doing similar things, but uh, it's not quite as crazy as it is in minor league baseball. Uh, and then I ended up selling drugs out of the back of my car <laughs> for a pharmaceutical company for about 12 years. And it was in that, it was in that point really where I started to figure out like, I like helping people unleash their awesome. That's the name of my podcast, which was, took me a long time to figure that out. But when I was doing pharmaceutical sales, really what I was doing was teaching my customers, my doctors, nurses, pharmacists, uh, I was teaching them about the new products that were available. And so I was helping them help their customers get better health results. And so I really liked that. And I figured out the less that I could do that because of the way the industry was changing, um, the more I didn't want to do that anymore because I just couldn't do the stuff I like to do. I just, I became a well-dressed delivery guy, basically. I would uh, go to my doctors and drop off the samples or whatever, and they'd be like, hi, bye. And that was really it. So... Uh, so from there, I started doing some teaching and training internally for the company that I worked for, and I was doing leadership training and some skills training and lots of sales training. And it dawned on me, like, I could probably leave here and do this 
on my own. And so I started getting certified and trained in a bunch of content, John Maxwell, Franklin Covey, DISC, um, all kinds of companies that do HR related stuff. And I ended up leaving and I started doing that uh, full time. And I worked with another software company to build out their talent development program, which was kind of cool. And in that process, as I was getting my stuff online, lots of other people in that industry, in the teaching, training, coaching, facilitation space, saw my stuff online. And they're like, how are you doing that? This was well before people figured out how to use Zoom and all that other stuff. I was using freeconferencing.com and some other stuff. And But people were seeing my website. They were seeing my presence on social media. And they're like, how are you doing that? So I was answering people kind of one-off. And then it got to the point where I couldn't answer everybody all the time. because There's just so many people asking me the same questions. And so this might be the first key takeaway about two minutes into our conversation here. I had people from multiple spheres of influence asking me about my online presence. And I was like, wait a second here. There, this might be a business. There might be something here. So that's where I started my digital marketing mentorship Facebook group. I started teaching people on calls and then I started doing webinars and then Zooms and all these other things and courses and membership groups on how to get your stuff online, how to present your stuff out there. And within the last couple of years, obviously with all the things going on with COVID, it has just accelerated the pace of people wanting to do that. Because previous to that, you know, I would tell people, build your email list, get your stuff online, start a podcast, whatever. And people are like, yeah, whatever, someday, someday. Well, guess what? In the last 18, 24 months, that someday came right down on top of everybody. And so the last couple of years, I have been so busy because I have people have been asking me nonstop for help. So that's the shortest version I can tell you of how I, how I got to where I am right now. It's perfect. So you, you started the, the digital marketing mentorship, but you've kind of created a model where you're using your personal Facebook page to just put out tons of stuff to attract people. And then people that fit, you're inviting to, yep. you know, hey, I've got this group. Could you share a little bit about that process? Yeah. So if you've never studied marketing before, I'm going to teach you something. And if you did study marketing before, I'm going to remind you of something you probably learned in Marketing 101. It's called ADA, A-I-D-A. It's a funnel. If you just look at it as a funnel, it's awareness, interest, desire, and action. Awareness, interest, desire, action, ADA. And what happens is people come to you, they become aware of you. That's the top part of the funnel, right? That's where most of the people will figure out about you. And then they become interested in you or not. I don't frankly care either way, uh, but some people will. And then some people have a desire to work with you. They like, hey, I like this guy. I know I like, can trust him. He shares good stuff. I think I want to take the next step. And then the uh, action piece is they, they buy it, right? So it's awareness, interest, desire, action, or decision. Some people say for the D. So the way I think about it on social media anyway, and on Facebook in particular, is people don't come on there to, well, most people anyway, don't come on there to fight about politics or all kinds of other stuff. They come on there for some escapism for their nine to five or just their daily existence. And so I tend to share funny stuff. Well, at least I think it's funny. Um, jokes, memes, little short videos, stuff that just make people laugh. And in between some of those things, I might share some key takeaways or a quote or something inspirational or a did you know or a life hack or something like that to just kind of keep people leaning in. And this is what I refer to as edutainment, right? I'm doing a little entertaining with a little education built in there. And then occasionally out on my personal page, 
I might say, hey, if you like this stuff and you want to learn more about how I do this online stuff, I got this group. Come check it out. And then I just direct people over to my digital marketing mentorship group. Uh, and so that's kind of what I've done on almost every place that I have a social media presence. That's kind of how I operate. Yeah. And, and obviously I think at least my connection with you over the last couple of years, um, you're, you're definitely a meme creator, collector <laughs> and harvester. Yeah. And, and then the build your list. Like those mm -hmm. are the two, if I had to put Dave into two categories, it's, it's, he has more memes than anybody else on the planet stacked up on his computer and 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 uh he will tell you build your list until you actually do it <laughs> yeah or until you get sick of hearing it and leave but whatever i'm <laughs> going to continue to say it because building building your email list has been so profitable for me and i can give you hundreds if not thousands of other examples specific examples of why people want to have a list because you know that becomes a, an asset for you and I don't know how many people are paying attention to this, but Dunkin' Donuts uh, in the last year or so got bought out by a private equity group. And if you go back and look at the uh, press release that they have out there, they talked about that the company that bought them, they didn't really have any experience or any exposure to the, what they call the morning day part, which is just breakfast. Uh, <laughs> so that, that was the primary reason why they wanted to get Dunkin' Donuts. But the second line item that they mentioned for why they bought Dunkin' Donuts was their user loyalty program and all of the millions of people that they have in that program. Well, that is just a code word for their email list or their customer list. So billion dollar acquisitions are happening as a result of somebody's customer list. So if you're not building an email list or a customer list, then you don't really have a business in my humble opinion. Absolutely. I mean, you think about just your local plumber and he goes to sell his business, the truck he has and all the tools he has, anybody can get, and they're not worth anything. The only thing right. that's worth anything is, is his customer list. <laughs> and yeah. and dig, in the digital world, that that's your email list. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, all of us have, have seen or, or heard somebody whose Facebook, you know, profile got shut off or punished or put away. And then what do you do? Yeah. And I've heard that, you know, some people say, I think Michael Hyatt puts it like, don't build your business on rented land, right? Don't build it on somebody else's property, like Mark Zuckerberg's uh, huge empire that he has or any other social empire, right? You can definitely have a presence there, but uh, and I've heard other people say it. It's like building your business on top of a volcano. You just <laughs> never know like when it's going to erupt. And then when it does, it's messy, right? So if you don't have any other way to communicate with people, then you're in trouble. And I even saw this during COVID where there's a lot of local businesses that I was running around trying to spend as much money as possible, trying to keep them alive. You know, the, the pizza shops and the, the haircut places and things like that, like places that were shut down for a long time where their business was severely restricted. And specifically at one of the pizza places, I said, do you have an email list? And the guy looked at me like, what? And I said, give me five minutes of your time and I'll save your business. And he was like, okay. So he stopped making pizzas and sat down with me for five minutes. And I didn't charge him anything, but I said, listen, here's what you have to do. You have to capture people's email addresses because then as this pandemic thing goes on, you can send out emails to people, especially on days where it's slow and say, hey, thinking about dinner, but you're home trying to work and the kids are all doing school and all of you are at home. And like the last thing you want to worry about is dinner. That's cool. We're going to have, you know, two, two pizzas for 10 bucks or whatever the deal was, uh, you know, come on by and, you know, you just send that email like four o'clock in the afternoon 
and that'll put you kind of top of mind for them and the phone will not stop ringing. And he ran into a problem where he didn't have enough help because he had so much business because he was just doing, and it was really simple. We set him up on a low cost. It was like $9 a month email service. I told him just as people come in, tell them to write their name and email address and put it in a little bowl. And each week you're going to draw winners and give out free pizzas. And that's how he did it. And so then he had that asset and that kept, you know, lots of other pizza places around here have gone out of business, but his continued to grow just because of that one simple strategy. Yeah. And I think the only thing comparable to an email list would be text. Like if you had SMS, you know, phone numbers and you were collecting those, um, using those in loyalty in the same way, right? You collect the number for, for loyalty, you send out a, a couple messages during the week, you know, fun or this or that, or, Hey, you know, Hey, we're offering 20% off your pizza on your way home tonight. You know? And so I I think that's the only comparable list that, that you still can control. Yep. So obviously content. So let's, let's talk about content. I, a large part of your content is like you mentioned, just, just fun, right? Just attracting Mm -hmm. attention and has nothing to do with anything that you offer out there. It's just, well, most of it's so stupid, (laughs) <laughs> but it makes yeah. you laugh. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit more about content and then even the content that, um, that you do put out that's, that has value. How, how many times do you, do you use that? Like, let's, let's talk about, you know, what, 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 a little bit about your content model. Yeah. <clears throat> well, if I had a content model, <laughs> I would put it in a book and sell it, but I really don't. Other than, um, you know, like I see people selling these content calendars and these books and whatever, but like my take on it is if you're just living your life doing things, you have content. There's content happening all around. Everybody has one of these smartphones in front of them. They can just pick it up and type in things that happen to them during the day. I, when I run errands and stuff, stuff happens to me. Like at Home Depot, they'll, you know, you do the self checkout and it says, uh, hey, would you, <laughs> you know, usually it says something like, would you like to save the earth? and not print a receipt and instead we'll email it to you. And I'm like, that's a bunch of crap. You don't, really, <laughs> you don't really care about the planet. You're just building your email list, but I'll take a picture of that. Like I'll, I'll stop the transaction. I'll take a picture of it. I'm like, wow, there's a great thing to share with my audience for like a teachable moment. So I think, you know, I call that the who's the who, so what? Like if you just think about who your audience is, who your niche is and what's going on in your world and you just kind of keep track of what's going on in your day, you can provide the so what piece. Right. So I was at Home Depot and they asked me if I wanted a receipt. And I said, no, but what they were really doing was collecting my email address. So what that means to you is, right. So I, I, that's what I do most of the time. But in terms of like ratios, the reason why I post all that crazy stuff is one, it's just, it's a way to get people's guard down and it allows them to get a little closer to you. If you think about, you know, back in the day when kids would sell newspapers from the corner, right? They were always doing something crazy just to get you close enough. So then they could sell you a paper, right? They would say something crazy or try to show you something on the front page. If you go into Costco, um, I don't know if they're doing this recently, but uh, prior to COVID, you'd go in there and somebody would be selling Vitamix blenders or um, like knives, Cutco knives or something. And they'd have the stand and they'd be like yelling and try to get you close. And then once you're close, then they can start selling to you, right? So I think about that online of like, how can I do uh, net fishing, right? Just kind of cast a wide net and bring some people close. And then through the content that I create that's a little more educational, that's more of my spear fishing. So if I had to put a number on it, because you asked me for some kind of specificity, I would say that 
it's um, 80% insane and 20% action, right? So out, out in the public domain for me, it's 80% just asinine, insane stuff. And 20% of like, hey, if you like this, you might want to lean into what I'm doing on my podcast or in my Facebook group. And that's as strong as I get usually for a call to action. But then once I get you in the group, you've already self-identified as somebody who know, knows, likes, and trusts me, or you would not go into that group. And then once you're in that group, I do a little less of the silly stuff, although there's still some of it. Um, but even in there, I still try to keep it to like 80% education and showing people something. Like I got my car washed yesterday. I don't know if you saw this post. This was an example of what I just talked about. I was getting my car washed. They had this sign that said, hey, SUV drivers, next time you're in, ask for second behind the second seat service because they charge a little extra if they need to vacuum behind the second seat and do all that other stuff because, you know, SUV, those giant SUVs like Escalades and stuff, Suburbans, um, they they want an upcharge there. So there was a sign in there and I took a picture of it and I shared it in the group. I said, look, this is a very clear call to action for a very specific niche. Right? This is a great upsell. So it was something that I shared. There wasn't a call to action for me, but it was just a an awareness to people to say, hey, this is some stuff you should probably be thinking about in your business. And then maybe 20% of the time, some people might think it's more because they see these a lot, but I will say, hey, here's something you might want to go buy. Here's a tool you might need. Here's something I'm selling. Here's a course I have, whatever. Um, and so I try to keep it like that, like 70, 80% value and just serving and then 20 to 30% selling. Absolutely. Well, and, and I think the other thing you uh, search out are QR codes. And so, you know, for me, it's it's finding QR codes that are impossible to take pictures of, like marketing people that put QR codes on stuff that you, you know, it's on a moving bus or it's <laughs> yeah, you know, some of those. Yeah. And and I try to show real world examples of things that really work too. Like I, last week, I'll make, here's another example on my personal profile. Every time I fly into Newark Airport, I, I live in New Jersey, and I usually fly out of Newark Liberty Airport, although I'm equidistant to Philadelphia, so sometimes I fly to that airport. But when I fly into Newark, as you're flying in on the approach and you look out, at one side you see New York City, and that looks really cool. But if you happen to not be sitting on that side of the plane and you look out the window, there's this giant billboard right as you're landing, and all it says is, eat clean, bro. Eat clean, bro. That's all it says. I don't even think there is a website. It just says eat clean, bro. So of course, what does that do? That creates some curiosity. <laughs> like, what the heck is that? As you land, people are still trying to get off the plane wherever you're sitting there. And so what do you do? You look it up. You're like, what is that? Well, it's a meal delivery service. And I was on a flight recently. I came back and I was home and we had a lot going on. And I thought, why don't I see if these guys serve my area, even though I live out in the woods? And they do. And I tried them. <laughs> And it was great. And I continued to be a customer of theirs. And I shared that example over on my personal page. As I, And when the guy delivered, I took a picture of his van. I posted it on Instagram. I tagged them. I highlighted them as a New Jersey business. I talked about how I see their, their billboard coming into Newark and all that stuff. And that was just an example. Like, look, from beginning to end, here is awareness, right? Interest. I, then I desired to, to do business with them. And then I took action because they had a Black Friday sale. And now I'm a customer of theirs and I've repeated, I've ordered a couple times. Nice. Absolutely. So another big part of your business, and I think um, is, is affiliate marketing, right? I mean, you've created some, some pretty incredible relationships um, with obviously some big hitters in, in the digital space and, and through those relationships, 
you're building their businesses and and of course benefiting you know from from those relationships so what i maybe not what percentage of your business is is affiliate but obviously um that creates some pretty good revenue streams yeah so as, as far as affiliate you know relationships you know how, how did you start those how would you recommend somebody you know creating relationships and and, and doing that kind of networking Okay, first let me define for people what affiliate relationships are and the different kind that I might have. So basically all that means is I'm promoting other people and I'm probably getting paid for it in some way, shape or form. Sometimes it's a free month of service for everybody I refer. Sometimes it's getting paid a percentage of somebody's monthly fee every month. Sometimes it's a flat fee. That's usually the case on some of these bigger courses and stuff. They'll just pay you some percentage. Uh, and so for me, what I figured out was, and I guess the second piece of this is you have to operate from a place of abundance. So there are some people in the world who, once they get you into their world, they really don't want you to leave. And I refer to this as wallet trapping. Mm -hmm. And a really good example that I'm pretty sure everybody can relate to, whether you've been there or not, is Disney World. Mm -hmm. Right? When you, go to, when you go to Disney World, especially if you stay on one of their properties and you go to all their theme parks there in Orlando, uh, your wallet is pretty much trapped and they, they want you to spend as much money as you can in their properties. They don't want you spending it anywhere else. And so they even, you know, some people say like, oh, they came up with that fast pass. And now I think it's called Genie Plus or something else, but they came up with this way for you to wait in line without waiting in line. That had absolutely nothing to do with convenience for the person in the park, the park goers, and had everything to do with the fact that your wallet was trapped in line and you couldn't spend money if you're waiting in line. So the guy that came up with this was like, hey, how cool would it be if we could have people to wait in line, but they weren't in line and they could go spend money on food and souvenirs and all that jazz. So like that's one example of like a closed ecosystem where they, they trap you in. And in that case, Disney is not saying to you, hey, you should go check out Paramount or you should go to SeaWorld or you should do whatever, right? It's all about the Disney stuff and the Disney properties. And even if you turn the TV on in their resorts, it's the Disney Channel and Disney Plus and like it's really hard to get anything else. So that's kind of the opposite of what I do. What I do is I say, look, I know where I serve my audience. I stay in a very specific place and I know that people are going to continue to come through here, right? There's always going to be people moving through this, this phase of where I am, where people want to learn how to monetize their message online. And there's always going to be beginners and there's always going to be people that walk into that world and go, whoa, I need some help. And that's where I stay. Now, outside of that, I could teach you some of the more advanced things because that's kind of what I do for my business in a lot of cases, but there are other people in the industry that can do that much better than me. And so I have relationships with them and I'll just pass you off to them and say, Hey, you want to learn how to build a course or a membership group or whatever? Go talk to these people. And yes, in return, I usually get paid if you buy something from them. Right. But it's one of those things where they could teach you what way better than I could. I don't want to take the time to make that thing. They already have it done and they've perfected it. Why don't I just send you over there? And when I make a good referral or recommendation, guess what? You come back and say, hey, Dave, that was really good. I learned a lot. Now what? Right. So if people are worried about if you send somebody away, they'll never come back. I've not found that to be the case. Mm -hmm. The one other thing is that when you're on this quest, right? I heard this uh, quote from, I think it's attributed to Mark Twain, but I don't know. I've heard it attributed to other people too. When you think about the during the gold rush in the United States, 
the people who had the most success during the gold rush were not the people who were panning for gold and digging for gold. It was the people that were selling the shovels and the pickaxes and the supplies. And there are some companies, including Wells Fargo, which still exist today from all the way back then. Now, obviously, they've pivoted and done some other things, and now their business is not exactly shovels and pickaxes. But even back then, they were trying to set up ways for people so they could store their gold for them. And now there's a company today. So for me, I've kind of positioned myself to say, like, listen, I'm not going to take people on this journey and go with them. I just know people are going to go on the journey. I'm going to stay there. And I'm going to recommend other people to teach them and other tools and stuff that they might need on this journey. And if I do a good job of serving people up front, you know, Zig Ziglar said, help enough people get what they want. You can have anything you want. So I've kind of taken that to heart and said, let me just help these people that are on this journey find the person that can help them do whatever it is they're trying to do and the tools they need to do it. And that has served me really, really well. Hmm. Well, and there's, and there's really three areas. I know and Unleash the Awesome, you've kind of focused in, in the three areas, right? The mindset, skill set, and, and tool set. Yep. And, and you don't have to have all three of those for, from your own source, but, but because you've collected and used and, referred so many people to so many different things. I think you've got a reputation for, you know, Dave knows some stuff that works. And, and if Dave says I should try that for my business, or this is the section I need, uh, especially when it comes to different tools or developing some different skills, you've created a, a pretty good resource library that, that when it comes to digital marketing, building your business online, um, I think there's a lot of people that trust you and say, man, I got, I can, I need this skill, Dave, who should I go get it from? Or I need this tool, Dave, what, which one would you recommend? Um, and you combine those tools and skills, and then you can still, you know, be pitching and helping them grow in their mindset area. Yeah. Yeah. And, and thank you for sharing that. And, and I wanted to position myself as the preferred partner on their journey kind of like the Sherpa that comes alongside and, you know, helps them get to the top of the mountain or whatever they're trying to do. Um, but, but I can hear probably some of your listeners right now saying, okay, Dave, that's great. Who cares that you got there? Like, how does that help me? And what I would say to you is if you're asking that question is how I got to where I am and how I got to the space was I just documented the journey. And so early on, I didn't have that reputation. I don't, I don't know how many times I've told this story in public, but one of my first really big affiliate wins was with Brendan Burchard's Experts Academy. And I had sent an email to Brendan's team and said, this was like 10 years ago, nine years ago, something like that. I'm not good with time. But uh, I said, listen, uh, do you have a group rate? Like I'm coming to your event in Santa Clara, uh, but I'm pretty sure some other people can come along. Do you have a group rate? And it was his fiance at the time, so now his wife who emailed me back and said, uh, no, but we have this affiliate program and here's how it works. And, you know, you'll get a percentage of any ticket that you sell. You can have a link, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, cool. Can I do that? And they were kind of like, okay, whatever, weirdo. Like, we don't know who you are, but sure. And uh, I ended up, so that event is $2,000 and my commission was $1,000. And so I said, okay, fine. So at the time I didn't have a big email list, but I was posting on social media I'm going to this event in Santa Clara to learn about how to monetize my message online. I know some of this stuff, but I want to go learn from people that are way ahead of me. Who wants to come? That was really it. Who wants to come? And I ended up, long story short, over the course of a few days, I got 15 people to go. So I know everybody listening can do some math in their head, right? 15 times 1,000 
is pretty good money. And so also what happened was then in that case, I got on, you know, for these affiliate promotions and stuff, there's usually some good natured competition that goes on between the different affiliates. And so there's leaderboards and there's some back channel chats that are going on and things like that. And there are all these people in the industry, if you're in that space, you would recognize everybody in the top 10, except for this one guy. And that was me. And I, what happens is once you kind of get in that space, everybody else turns and looks at you and goes, well, who's this guy that just showed up at the party? And then they say, well, I'm promoting my thing next month or next quarter or next year. Like, do you want to promote my thing? And as long as it's congruent with what I'm trying to do and my message, and I like how they operate. Like when I first started doing this, I'm like, sure, I'll sell everything. But I've gotten much, <laughs> I've gotten much smarter about choosing who I want to work with and looking at how they show up in the marketplace and kind of what their values and ethics and those things are. And so, yeah, I have a handful of people. In it, and that got me to a place where I've been able to promote and work with and meet, which was kind of like a, a lifelong dream. People like Dean Graziosi and Tony Robbins and Russell Brunson and Amy Porterfield and all these folks. But it all started with me just saying, I'm going to go to this event. Who wants to come with me? And then just sharing my affiliate link. Well, now the affiliate link game is, has become a whole <laughs> It's it's whole new thing, right? That you talked about that backroom competition, and and you know people are piling on the bonuses, and we're partnering together and adding a bonus for this and that, and 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 really that there's kind of a that backroom competition. Um, it, it's kind of a little fun, right? Because then you get people that know people have figured this out, and they're they're going around saying who's got what bonuses and which ones should we jump on? Yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because. Uh, Sometimes I play that game, but I have found that many cases, the bonuses are just a distraction from the actual course that people need to consume. And so I've been really smart and tactical about my bonuses and just not trying to give people more information, but give them more support or accountability or like office hours calls with me or maybe a one-on-one -on -one consulting call or something uh, because you're right. There are these people that just pile on a million things that don't make any sense for the total bonus stack. But, you know, people think that that's a value. And so they're like, oh, I'm going to go with this guy. And then I say, okay, how'd that all work out? And I'm like, oh, I didn't even watch the first module. Okay. Like, maybe you should come hang out and see how I do it. But, you know, it's kind of, it's like a pendulum in this space. You know, people are like piling on all these bonuses and then no bonuses and then all these bonuses and no bonuses. I mean, when it comes down to it, people need to just do it. And you hit the nail on the head before about how I talk about mindset, skill set, tool set. A lot of times these courses will give you the skill set and maybe they'll give you some of the tool set. But if you don't have the mindset, which comes first, you're not going to do any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my bonuses revolve around mindset and me kind of getting in your head a little bit and saying like, like you got to figure out this stuff here before any of this stuff is going to happen. I was just on a call with somebody. As a matter of fact, it was a bonus call from one of these things and they wanted to talk strategy and all this other stuff. And it was an hour call and we spent like 52 minutes of me getting in their head and saying like, why are you doing this? Like, what, what is your purpose for doing this? What are your goals? What are your benchmarks? What do you, and they were like, what? I said, look, none of this other stuff matters unless you understand why you're doing this. Cause you're going to run into something that slows you down. That's going to frustrate you and you will quit. But if your why your passion, right? Simon Sinek's a smart guy. He did that Ted talk, you know, how great leaders inspire action and that catapulted his career into him writing all these other books, start with why and infinite game and whatever else. And, uh, but the smartest thing that guy ever said was you have to know why you're doing what you're doing 
or you will quit. And, and I even learned that in pharmaceutical sales. We figured out that through a lot of data and um, scientific studies and stuff, they figured out that people who have to take medicine for a long-term disease are much more likely to adhere to their therapy if they do it for something beyond themselves. Mm. So if, you know, if, if you were telling people they need to quit smoking or they need to take their blood pressure medication or whatever, if you would say things to them like, so that you will be alive to see your grandpa, uh, grandchildren. So you'll be alive and in good shape to play with your grandchildren, to attend their wedding, whatever. People are much more likely to stick to their course of care. So the same thing holds true with your why, like why you're doing. If, if so, that thing is outside of you and you've made that promise to somebody else, you're much more likely to stick to it. And so if you can't get that figured out, then you will not do the $2,000 course. You won't buy the tools you need to do it. You will quit at the first sign of struggle and then go back to where you were. And that's why so many people are going through the cycle of just buying a lot of courses and doing nothing because they don't ever implement it. Ah, shiny object syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> that course, that next course will solve my problem if I just if I just spend a little bit more, yes. get, a, get a little bit more ready. Yeah, and I'm going to give myself a little pat on the back there because somehow I cut that rant short in about five minutes when I could talk about that for five hours, but <laughs> we'll stop there. Absolutely. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by Add Value to Life Coaching. Want to learn the mindset secrets of successful entrepreneurs that have been shared on our podcast? Well, you can get them for free at addvaluemindset.com. A-D-D-valuemindset.com. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. Well, and, and you mentioned, you know, making the bonuses that, that match and creating a coaching call, creating a Facebook group that, that, that matches the program, right? Like, Hey, let's, you know, you're going through this, this program with a thousand other people, you know, let's, let's do it together and, and have a small group that keeps each other accountable. And, um, and those are, that they're, they seem like oh, that's not as valuable as a course or, or, or this, or, you know, we can throw all these dollar sign numbers on it. But the truth is those, those smaller groups of people actually taking action and sharing it is priceless when it yeah. comes to getting stuff done. Yeah. And I think something we probably need to address here is that a lot of that bonus stuff that people pile on is them playing the short game of let me see how many sales I can get right now. And I have chosen to play the long game in that I don't care if I'm on the leaderboard. I don't care if I win. I don't care about any of that stuff. What I care about is, are the people that are going to do this, are they going to complete it? And what percentage of people are actually going to do that? I, I don't have 100% completion rate either with people that I refer, but I do have a heck of a lot of testimonials now because of the people that have gone through it. And I've helped them with that mindset piece. And now I can say the next time we sell this thing, because it comes around pretty much every year, a lot of these things, I'll say, hey, look at the people that went through it last time. And I might ask them, share your thoughts if you've been through it. And then I don't have to do any selling. I just say, hey, here's this thing again from my friend Amy. And uh, if any of you have gone through it before, like, I, I really think it's awesome. I've been around Amy for a long time. I love the way she operates. Here's my link. Uh, if any of you have gone through it before, you know, I'd love for you to share your takeaways in the comments and like 15 people will show up and be like, it's the greatest thing ever. You should do it. You're a fool if you don't do it, whatever. And that sells way stronger than me saying you should buy this thing. So yeah, that's kind of how I operate now. And 
I think the proof is not in my success, but in the success of the people that I referred to these things. And that's what I just continue to do. Like right now, one of the tools that I recommend a lot of people use, they have a deal going on. And I just keep saying like, yeah, I use it and I like it and I use it every day in my business. But I would encourage you to look at some of the other people in our group here that are using it. And I'm sure they'll chime in as to why they they love it and they like it. And that's that speaks way louder than I ever could. Well, and, and then I think there's the value of, um, you know, obviously Amy does Digital Course Academy and she's a specialist in that. But then once you have a course, then you need to, you know, how do you create a membership or how do you market it or how do you, and then, and then people are going to come back to you instead of asking Amy's, you know, who should we do next? They're coming back to Dave and saying, Dave, man, you hooked us up with this and, and it went well. And, and you know, we went through this together with a group, you know, what, what's next? Like, how can we do this? What, how can we do this, this piece together? And I think yeah. that that's building your business because you're creating loyalty because you care about the results of the people that you're putting in there. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think that's a huge, a huge difference. And, and the cool thing for you is that all of these, these things fit, right? They, they're, they're, they're in your, that digital marketing wheelhouse of <laughs> helping people. And you don't have to, you don't have to come up with a course creation program. Like I don't, I don't need to teach you how to create a course, go take Amy's course. Cause she's been doing it and refining it and refining it and refining it and getting really, really good at it. Um, so jump in her course, you know, when it comes to memberships, jump in Stu's course and, and, and you can keep promoting all of those and you're not in competition with no. any of them. And the people and that are going to come back to Dave are the people that, that love Dave and love his advice and love the other pieces that he's adding on. Yeah. And I become great friends with all those people and they love it because I send them business and I love it because they basically do the customer service piece that I don't have to do. Right. They, they serve my audience at the highest level possible and it works out really well. And I think a, a, a metaphor that I use here that, that might help people is, if you think about, at least for my affiliate marketing, uh, if you think about if you were to go be a doctor or a nurse or anything in the medical field, the first two courses you have to take besides chemistry and biology, but when you really start getting into the, the coursework for that medical field, you have to take medical terminology and anatomy and physiology. If you don't understand what the body is and how it operates, and if you don't understand what the pieces are called and how to refer to them, you can't do anything else. And so what I do is I just stay in that space in digital marketing and I teach people basically the anatomy and physiology of the space and the terminology of the space. And then if you decide you want to be a, a neurosurgeon, then I send you off to the neurosurgeon people. If you decide you want to be an orthopedic surgeon, I send you over there. If you decide you want to do family medicine, I tell you the people that can help you do that. So it's a very similar model. It's just that I have chosen to stay in one spot. So I'm kind of staying in that beginner, you know, intermediate space instead of moving people up and having, you know, some people will talk about a value ladder on the back end or customer ascension. Sometimes people refer to it as, um, instead of me upselling into way more of my stuff, I can just upsell into other people's things that I have an affiliate relationship with. And as long as it's a good fit and I like how they operate, then, then it's fine. But on the flip side, and we should mention this, there's plenty of stuff you won't hear me talk about. And if, there's something going on in the marketplace and I am intentionally silent. It's not because I don't know that it's out there. It's often because I know that it's out there and I do not like the people that are running it mm -hmm. or I do not like their track record or I do not like how they operate. Right. So I will oftentimes choose not to promote some of those things. And, and I don't operate from the place of like, Hey, this thing's out there. It's really bad. Don't go do it. 
I would rather just shine light on the people that and the services that will serve you. And I think my silence will speak volumes if you're paying attention. Mm. Well, that's so good, right? Because obviously your reputation does matter. And yeah. and you want people to be successful. You want people to get successful. But you also want people to experience the level of character that you're accustomed to. And and I think I think there's there's a lot to be said for that, right? The people you're putting them in, in relationship with, because obviously you, you sell somebody a course and, and, or say, Hey, you should go take this course. You're selling them that person. I mean, they're, they're borrowing your trust, right? Like, you know, I trust Dave that, and that character thing matters. Yes. I, I think. And I, and I love that. <laughs> I, I love both sides of that, right? Like a, if I'm not talking about it, there's probably a reason. And, yes. and B, I'm not going to slam them either. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put that negative out there on my, on my side. I don't need to. And, yes. and so good, good for you on both sides of that, because I, I think character is for an entrepreneur is, is the heart of, of, of everything. And especially to get to that abundant mindset, character, character matters. Yes. Absolutely. You mentioned, um, Obviously, you mentioned abundance and and the mindset issue and what what things helped you make that transition? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I've gone through this in depth over on my podcast, Unleash the Awesome, in different episodes, especially the first like 10 episodes. I would encourage people to go listen to those. But um, I was actually at Brendan Burchard's event, Experts Academy. And he was talking about something that I had heard before, but I hadn't heard it in this context. He was talking about the confidence competence loop, the confidence competence loop. And he was saying how, you know, the idea of fake it till you make it, that's not, you know, go out and fake it and pretend like you have a Lamborghini and all this stuff and people will do business with you. That's how people misconstrue it. It's more of like, how do you fake your own confidence so that you will display your competence that you could actually do it. And then when you see that you can actually do it and get your own real world experience, you go, oh, I can do this. And then your confidence goes up and then it's just a loop. So if you're outside the loop, it's hard to get into because I, I use the, the visual of like double dutch jump ropes, right? People twirling two jump ropes. And if you're on the outside and you're just rocking back and forth and they're singing that song trying to get you to jump in and you just never jump in, then that's not going to serve you. And you never know if you're going to be able to jump that rope if you don't get in there and start jumping. And obviously the first couple of times you get tangled up and it doesn't work really well. But eventually, once you get in there, you figure it out. Another example would be a little kid riding a bike. Right. They don't they don't get on a bike and just learn how to ride it and just, you know, ride a 10 speed bike right away. They're like they fall down, they skin their knees, they do all this stuff. But as they borrow the confidence of the person teaching them how to do it. Right. They're usually like, you can do it. You yeah, you got it. Keep it up. Yeah. Keep the handlebar straight, whatever. They're borrowing that confidence, which increases their competence because now they're like, wow, I could do this which increases their confidence. And so even if they fall down and smash their head wearing a helmet, obviously, but, you know, get a little shaken up, they're much more likely to get back on because now they believe in themselves because they have displayed to themselves that they have the competence. So you'll hear me say this a lot in, uh, and, you know, people call me a wise ass all the time, but it's, it's true you know, that people say, how do you get started in the space? I go, well, here's how you start. You start. 
And then how you stay in it is you just stay in it. You don't quit. And they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, you just have to do it. Like you have to start and not stop, right? You've all heard the quote, the man in the arena. It's actually on my shirt right now in the back. I can't show it to you, but you know, the man in the arena quote about, you know, get in the man in the arena and the, and the dirt and the sweat and all that stuff. Like you have to go in there and do it. And only by doing it, will you start to learn that, oh, here's some stuff that I can do. And I already have these skills. Here's some stuff I'm not great at that I need to get better at. And, and I actually did a podcast episode on this one too, where I said, look, when you do these things, it, the key to success is this, you're going to suck at first and you have to be okay with that. It's not going to be great. It's not going to be like world-class, but you have to do it. And so the key is you suck first and then you try to suck less and then you have success. So it just comes down to, you're going to suck, right? Suck first, suck less, success. And that's, you know, it sounds catchy and whatever. It's a great title for a podcast, but uh, that is really what it is. People are afraid to be bad at something long enough to get good at something. Mm, so and, true. Yeah. And that's, that's the key that people just don't want to look bad. Listen, you, you're going to look bad. And the good news is with the stuff online, with a podcast, with Facebook lives, whatever it is you're going to do, not a lot of people are going to watch it first. So when you're bad, it doesn't really matter. And the people that are watching you like you anyway. So That's right. mom will keep watching. Yeah, they'll, they'll hype <laughs> you up and be like, yeah, it's great, honey, whatever. And so you got to do it though, because as you start to find your own voice, your audience will start to find you and then you're on to something really big. But I, I would encourage people to think about it this way. Do this stuff, not for the results that you're going to get in the short term, but for the person that you have to become in order to get better results. Because when you do Facebook Lives, when you do a podcast, when you do these things, I don't know if people have been paying attention, but I haven't said a lot of filler words like um or ah, uh, or I haven't really stopped to have word find problems or whatever. It's not because I'm just naturally gifted at speaking. It's because I've done this a lot. I've done this a whole lot. And so when you practice these things, if you're not good at it, go to a Toastmasters meeting. I think it costs like a hundred bucks a year to be a part of Toastmasters, something like that. Go practice giving speeches, do Facebook lives, talk to the camera, get, get good at this stuff. Through the repetition, you'll get better. And then as you get better and find your voice, your audience finds you, you can start selling them things and then you're set. Hmm. Absolutely. That's so good. And I think I, I like the scientific approach of it, right? Like there's so much that you can, you just have to do it to learn it. And we spend so much time in hypothesis mode, right? Like, well, if I knew this, I can do this. If I knew this, I can do this. And 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 people are stuck with that. I got this great idea. And uh, but until you take step one, you don't know if you know the the audience is there. You don't know if if what you're saying is even true. And and taking action is is the difference maker. The caveat is you have to be willing to learn. Yes. And and, and not and not let the suck <laughs> kill you. Right. Like yes. You could, there's people that just suck and yes. their, their podcast is bad and somehow they keep, keep on producing it or putting it out there, but there should be progress. Like we should be able to go. In fact, I know if I go watch my first episode and, and my, my current ones, it'd be like, Whoa, thank you that I'm making this progress. And I'm intentionally trying to get better every episode, right? Like yes. to ask better questions and ask, and, and that intentionality is an accelerator, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if you 
use Spotify, but uh, Spotify at the end of the year, they usually send out this thing called Wrapped, and it tells, talks about all the music and stuff you listen to for the year and the, the podcast that you listen to the most, whatever. And I was laughing because the podcast that I listened to the most was my own. And and uh, and I listen to a lot of podcasts, frankly. I mean, and I listen to a lot of long form, like two, three, eight hour podcasts. Wow. But, but uh, mine are like 15, 20 minutes, but mine was the one I listened to the most. And I was kind of looking at them like, well, that's narcissistic. But then I was like, no, but you know what I do? I'll listen to an episode that I did like two, three, four times and I'll critique myself and I'll, you know, I'll listen to it at the grocery store. I'm driving around in the shower or whatever. And I'll listen to it again. I'll be like, okay, I didn't like that metaphor. I didn't like how I said that, or I didn't like this, or I could use this again in some other way. And like pretty much we, I've been talking to you now for 45 minutes and probably 23 minutes of the stuff that I've said have all been said before on my podcast in some way, shape or form. It's just that I'm getting better at saying them because I've said them a few times and I've listened to them I'm like, wow, that's not good. Let's get better. And so you're right. You need to have some intentionality about wanting to get better. You can't just do it and continue to suck at it because that's, that's not going to work. <laughs> so the other area of abundance that I think can be helpful for people is, is gratitude. How, how have you used gratitude? in your life? Yeah. So I do something Tony Robbins taught me. It's just a gratitude circle uh, first thing in the morning. So when I'm up, just, I take a, a brisk walk outside, do some deep breathing. And as I'm doing that, I just think about starting from me on the inside out. I just say like the thing, I don't say it out loud, but just in my head, the stuff that I'm thankful for. So I'm thankful for me and my health and my ability to get up at this hour and be outside and do all this stuff. And as I'm walking down the street and I see my house, I'm, you know, thankful for my house and my family and my kids and blah, 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 my wife and my dog and whatever. So it's just a spiral outward. You know, I'm thankful for this community I live in. I'm thankful for those coyotes I hear howling that are over there and they're not over here right now. Um, you know, and just, I, I do that every day. And it's really hard for you to be in a, in a bad mindset when you have a lot of gratitude. And so I just start there every single day and sometimes, right, because life's not perfect, sometimes when, when bad things happen to me or things happen in my world, I try to look at it and go, okay, well, I'm still alive. And so gratitude right off the bat. Well, I'm still here. And what can we learn, right? Like, what's the takeaway? Or there's definitely a teachable moment. This will make a great podcast episode, <laughs> something like that. Uh, and so that's just kind of how I try to operate. And it, there's a book by, I think Sean Aker is his name, The Happiness Advantage. And he did a lot of science in there. And I haven't read it in a long time, but um, he, there was a lot of science in there around people that are happy are not happy because of something that happened. They're happy because they chose to be happy. Hmm. And then they just see the world through that lens, right? So uh, I'll give you all a newsflash. Um, that's nice play on words there. I did not intend. Uh, I do not watch the news. I do not watch any news. I might look at the Drudge Report or CNN or BBC or, or something really quick in the morning. I'll scan a few of them just to see what's going on in the world. That's it. I'm not watching any news. I'm not letting people on the media shape how I see the world uh, because that's a lot of negative garbage that I don't need in my head. So that's another way that I protect my my sanity and my energy. I don't let those negative people speak into my, my existence because I already got my own stuff going on. So between those two things, gratitude exercise, and then just keeping all that negative stuff out, um, that's how I stay sane. Well, and you mentioned podcasts, right? You're you're intentional about who you're listening to, and those voices are 
are feeding the attitude that you want to have. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, there's only so much energy and, and time you can invest going through your day. So if you want to waste all of that watching the news and putting all that negative garbage in your head, then that's a lot of time that you can't be putting good stuff in or thought provoking stuff. So people say like, you've, if you follow me at all, you've seen me really geeking out on a lot of cryptocurrency and blockchain stuff lately. And people will say like, man, how do you know all this stuff? How do you stay on top of it? I'm like, well, if you don't binge watch entire episodes of shows and watch the news and all that other stuff, then that frees up a heck of a lot of time to listen to something that might educate you on this stuff. And then it kind of shapes your own thought process. So then when you see stuff happen in the world, you go, oh, I kind of know about this. And you already have some of the puzzle pieces. So when you get that other piece, you go, oh, okay, this is now making sense to me. And so that's really it. You know, you've, you've used the word intentionality a lot. That's really what it is. Just intentionality about the stuff I choose to focus on. And then, you know, as Tony Robbins says, where focus goes, your energy flows. So I tend to keep it on forward looking, you know, progressive, possibilitarian, you know, things that I want to manifest in this world and not what's going on on the news. Because for the most part, there's nothing that I, the, 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 nothing on the news is going to impact me. And there's really nothing I can do to impact what's going on in the news, uh, generally speaking, other than just being a good human being and being nice to the people and trying to serve the people that I come in contact with. If I do that, that's the way that I can impact all that negative crap that you see on TV. Absolutely. So what has been the impact for you and, and your business from hosting the podcast? Yeah. So the only reason I hosted, I decided to start the podcast that's been on the back burner for a real long time. And I'm honestly not as consistent with getting episodes out, but I do get them out on some kind of sporadic basis. For me, it's, it's a way to talk about stuff and articulate some thoughts that I'm having. So it's almost like a, a shot across the bow or a test balloon or something, or I kind of float it out there to the world. And then people will give me feedback on Instagram or wherever they choose to reach me. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing is though, because through these affiliate stuff, like I've had some really great guests on my podcast, right? I've had Russell Brunson and James Wedmore and Grant, um, not Grant Cardone, um, Dean Graziosi. Uh, and a bunch of other people come on. And so that's been really cool. So I've got to meet them and build some better relationships with them. But honestly, why I started doing the podcast was because I kept getting asked the same questions over and over again. And you'll notice I did it on this very conversation. People will ask me questions sometimes and I'll go, go listen to episode four of my podcast. Go listen to the first 10 episodes. Go listen to the first three episodes, whatever. They're 15 minutes because I'm saying a lot of the same things over and over again. So on the ones that I'm teaching, it was like, let me just get my foundational teachings out there so that then when people ask me, I don't have to be like, all right, let me go through this again. I just point them to different episodes. And it happens almost every day. I want to say at least four or five times a week where a coaching client will ask me a question and I'll refer them to it. Or somebody I've never met before will ask me a question. I'll just go listen to that because that's really my thoughts on it. So that's, I, I can't say that it's had like a, a quid pro quo or that I put it out there and I decided, you know, my revenue went up X percent because I didn't really do it with that intention. It was more about me just like a comedian would try out their jokes going to local clubs before they, you know, do their Netflix special or whatever. I see my podcasts and my Facebook lives as ways to try out some of my material and some of the things I'm thinking about because sometimes they don't hit. Sometimes people are like, whoa, did you think about that before you said it? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> clearly not as much as I should have, I guess. Um, and so it helps me kind of find the winners 
and refine them and make them even stronger. And then if I decide that I want to do something like create a new course or whatever, then I know I already have material that works. And so I just kind of take all that stuff and then put it in this thing. And there's a much greater chance that, that thing will be successful because I've already tried out a lot of this content. Nice. Uh, I like, I mean, you obviously recognize your niche, right? And, and that's the language you've used. And the reason that you're able to tell the same stories or talk about the same items is because that's your niche. And, and people feel like they get caught up and worried about the audience side of the niche versus the marketing side of this is your wheelhouse. Right. And, and that's why you're so good at speaking about it is because this is what you do every day. And this is, you stay in that focused area of who you're serving and what you're offering them. And if stuff's outside of that, you've got affiliate relationships to say, Hey, go, go get this information from them or go get this information from me. Cause I shared it, you know, two weeks ago on that show. And so that's, that, that, that's pretty tight, you know, niche marketing. Yes, indeed. And that's, you know, you've heard me say before, the riches are in the niches. And so I just try to stay in that space and operate from there. And it just makes it a lot easier for me. And, you know, using the comedian thing as an example, like if I know my audience, right, Dave Chappelle t uh, tells jokes a lot differently than um, other than uh, what's his name, uh, Gaffigan, Jim Gaffigan, right? Dave Chappelle and Jim Gaffigan are totally different comedians, totally different audiences. If Dave Chappelle showed up at a Jim Gaffigan comedy thing, he would probably blow out half of the audience, if not more, right? <laughs> so you have to know your audience and what will work with them and what won't. And only by, you know, kind of pushing the envelope sometimes will you know where the boundaries are. So sometimes I do push and I try to see, and sometimes I get a quick, immediate feedback. And other times I get slower feedback, but it's still there. Uh, but the, again, the only way I know, even for me, right, is that I put some new content out there and going with what I talked about before, Sometimes it sucks at first and then I just try to make it suck less. And then eventually I find a way to talk about it in a way that's successful. And then when I come on somebody else's podcast, I don't run out of things to say 54 minutes into a conversation. <laughs> nice. So switch it up just a little bit. Cause I like to bring entrepreneurs back to their home space and their family space. Um, and I know you and your wife, you know, raised a family. How has building your business um, benefited you know, raising your family changed how you were doing things compared to corporate. It gave me a ton of flexibility to do the stuff that I want to do and be the dad that I wanted to be instead of the dad that I wished I could be. Uh, and it was hard initially because the kid, I have three boys and they're two, one's out of college, one's a senior in college and one's a junior in high school. And, you know, boys, they, they need some attention too. And I, uh, being, at the dinner table as often as possible to shape the conversations that are happening each night, all those things, instead of being away at an office and not making it home for dinner, like that, those were the things that I wanted to do. But when they were smaller, I really had to focus on the idea of like what I'm doing right now, working in corporate America and just burning the candle at both ends and running around like a chicken with my head cut off is not sustainable. Hmm. And if I want to do something, something's got to change. We don't have time to get into kind of the epiphany moment that I had, but I had that moment when I was like very successful. I was like at the pinnacle of success in the industry that I was in. And I decided right there that like, even if I continue to do this, this is not sustainable for what I want. Uh, it pays great, but it's not going to help with this. So I got to figure out how to get out, have some freedom, flexibility, but still get the same kind of pay, right? Get the same kind of revenue coming into the house. So 
that was the thing. I had to make the tough decision to make some sacrifices in the short term that definitely paid off in the long term. And that's hard for people to see, but getting back to what I talked about before with Simon Sinek, like that was my why. I wanted to be able to be a good parent and a good husband and be around for the family. And like I'm sitting home right now, we're recording this on a Monday afternoon, one o'clock. Um, you know, I don't know lots of people that have the freedom and flexibility to say yes to a request like that. But I did because the kids are at school, everything's taken care of, right? But how I got to where I am now is I did the work, I got the reps in, it wasn't pretty. It, it, it did suck sometimes because I had to get up earlier, stay up late and, and grind and do all that stuff. But I knew the short-term grind was worth the long-term benefit. And that's what I'm reaping today. Nice. All right. So what was your favorite date with your wife? The one that comes, the one that comes to mind, which I don't know necessarily is a favorite, but the one that definitely popped into my mind is we went to go see a taping of Saturday Night Live. Or I guess not taping. We saw Saturday Night Live, and uh, it happened to be when one when the presidential candidates were on, and so the Secret Service was there and everything else. And so it became a whole day. We rode the train into the city, and we you know did some stuff around and saw the sights. And it was in the winter time. It was about this time of year, so the tree was up and the skating and the Rockefeller Center and all that stuff. So that was really neat. So that was kind of the first thing that comes to mind. But we've we've done a lot of crazy things. We've jumped out of airplanes and done other things. But the one that comes to mind is that one. Nice. All right. So young entrepreneurs sitting across from you just had your conversation. You're going to leave them with the last words, Dave's words of wisdom. What are you going to share? So if it's a young entrepreneur, I would tell them that you need to go read a book. It's called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And in that book, it will start to give you some ideas about how you can execute on the ideas that you have. Even though that book was written in 2007, I think it's timeless. And it was the book I came across that served me well. So I would tell them that that could kind of be like their textbook moving forward on how to execute on their ideas. And secondarily, he has a book called Tribe of Mentors or Tools of Titans. They're both good, but I would recommend Tribe of Mentors which is where he asked, uh, I don't know, like 200 really successful people in all different industries and niches, the same basic 10 questions. And it goes through each of their responses to those questions. So you might find some people that resonate with you and could be your model for whatever it is you're trying to do in your industry. But I think those combination of books would be good for you to have in your library and not just have them in your library, but read them and execute on because he is one that has helped me kind of shape how I think about things. And so I give him a lot of credit for my success, but his, he's a really great thinker and he continues. His podcast is really good. I'd recommend that too. But if you could only do one thing, it would be the four hour work week. Nice. Dave, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate so much wisdom and value that you've shared and uh, just appreciate your friendship. You're welcome. This has been fun. Thank you. If you enjoyed the show, please like subscribe or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. addvaluemindset.com. In our next episode, Daniel Gomez is highly sought after speaker and coach sharing about taking the leap into greatness. Each of us was created with greatness inside, and the world needs your greatness. You build your confidence by stepping out into faith.